He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else. On today's edition of Hall Access. A very special guest joining me via the Laser Hotline. And this one's really cool for me as a longtime fan of the band The Cult. Can't thank him enough for his time today. Frontman Ian Astbury. It's really great to have you, Ian. Absolutely. Likewise. Looking forward to September 24th, The Cult in town at Hoyt Sherman Place gearing up for the release of the band's 11th studio album, Under the Midnight Sun, which is coming October 7. Had this collection of songs been in the works predating COVID, Ian? Yeah, like really just before COVID and for everything went on lockdown in March 2020, we were actually in the studio doing discovery, which means going through material that we've got lying around and deciding what we're going to record for the next album. So we literally had, I want to say we had probably six to eight days of, of that process. And then Billy and the producer flew back to the UK around about March 15th or 17th, something like that. And then everything was on lockdown. So then we had to... Um, you know, adapt to that situation. And uh, we worked remotely a little bit, but then we were able to later in the year reconvene um, as a unit. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting process. Following any amount of time away from the studio or the stage, especially at this point in your career, when you're not having to rush your creative process, does the meeting of the mind, specifically between you and Billy, feel completely organic when it comes to that reconvening you you alluded to? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, organic meeting of the minds. It, you know, every album's different, and every uh, we're just basically people evolving and pretty obvious to people who know the cult's music that we never make the same album twice and uh, we're not a factory so dependent upon the environment um, you know you get you get the end results in terms of the songs um, it's it's a really frenetic process there's no I wouldn't say it was a uh, harmonious joyful <laughs> experience mm. we really roll our sleeves up and get into the to the the deeper end of of uh of the material um and the music we want to get as deep into it as possible we're not we're not trying to do something that's superficial or performative we are attempting to create an environment where we really get as close to the truth as possible and uh, that takes it takes work, it also takes courage to be vulnerable and to also know that we don't have all the answers, so we're open to outside input, especially from the producer, Tom Dalgerty. So it's a much more complex process than just, you know, rolling into the studio with some songs and record them and then you back at it again. Yeah. We don't work like that. Well, inspiration is everywhere, and I assume you've always been open to whatever ideas come to you and how they come to you. The story behind the album's title is a really interesting one, if you wouldn't mind sharing that experience with us. Yeah, the album title derived from a... Um, I was looking at some archival reels that you know during the lockdown period, 
And uh, one show came to light, which was from uh, Finland in 1986, Provinci Rock, which is a, was a huge festival. And one of the first takeaways from that for me was the actual stage itself had flowers all f- across the front of the stage, which is pretty rare that, you know, promoters or organizers of the festival would even consider to do something like that at a festival. So it created a really beautiful atmosphere. And um, we're in the Northern Hemisphere. Finland is pretty high up in the Northern Hemisphere. And one of the anomalies of the Northern Hemisphere is that the sun doesn't go below the horizon in certain months. So it's, you know, it's quite lit uh, all through the night. The sun doesn't go down. So there was this idea of, um, you know, under the midnight sun, um, I remember walking around. That The festival was really beautiful. But after the festival, I remember walking around. It's like four in the morning. Might have been later. People were up all night, just hanging out, making out, drinking, <laughs> laughing, sharing this beautiful space. And it was a particularly endearing memory for me because it was a very youthful, joyous, free. The, the energy was really beautiful around this festival. There was no aggression. There was no violence. There was no sense of like urban light. There was just this really celebratory moment in this anomalous moment where the sun is still in the horizon, you know, above the horizon. So I transposed that halcyon moment. It came up as a memory during the recording of this record, Mm -hmm. and it really felt an appropriate title for this moment we're in. I mean, I've seen other artists, I suppose the Strokes, they said, you know, the new abnormal or a title to those words that affect. But in many ways, this isn't abnormal. This is where we're at. This is our reality. But it is an anomalous moment with the pandemic and all the polarization in culture and language and global strife and wars and environmental situations. And we're just in a schism where communication is really, you know, people aren't hearing each other. We may, be, we may mean the same things, but we're not really hearing each other and you know we have a lot of incel activity people who are just lost in the metaverse um etc so here's this anomalous moment and that was the reference to under the midnight sun and there's many other layers to that but that was my initial connection that moment was acknowledging this anomalous moment that we're in yeah. in nature and, and in time. You talk about the tumultuous times in which we live, Ian, and it's interesting because I've always believed that because music is such a universal language across so many yeah. different cultures and peoples, that Absolutely. it's it's guys like you that are really doing the important work right now. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I just believe it's. I've been doing this for a minute, and one of the things you realize over a period of time is that frequencies I mean, energetic, even at the quantum level, you know, if you want to go that far into it, music is frequency work, and it does transcend language and culture. Um, human archetypal feelings and emotions are expressed in, in all cultures. You know, the human experience, there's many things that we, we all depend upon oxygen, we all depend upon food, we all depend upon community, we all depend upon the photosynthesis, the sun. There's many of the, these undeniable archetypal, you know, factors in our lives, all of our lives. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. And uh, over a period of time, spending a lot of time traveling the world, experiencing different cultures, you get 
to see that there's so much more in common that 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 connects us and separates us and i really believe music is a universal language and you can do a piece of music where the language is there may not even be a vocal on it it could just be a piece of music that grabs you and um an atmosphere you know like cinematic music for example Mm. and it it conveys people pick up on the same emotional frequency so that's operating from a conscious perspective and once you can sort of separate from your own your own attachment your own ego your own you're just basically working in frequency and you're 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 a pure channel for that although it may sound profound or you know may to some uh, listeners um these are concepts that are quite heady they're actually something that happens to us with or without our awareness, you know, yep. uh, music, music and energy. I mean, if you walk through a city that's really frenetic and there's a lot of noise and action like New York, and that's going to affect you. And that, that's really going to affect your well-being. Your, some people get high on that. I mean, I love New York. I love the energy of New York. And um, I kind of get a charge out of New York every time I lived in New York for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, New York's a big component in this record as well, but so is there other, um, you know, other environments like natural environments where there's not that, you know, the broad spreads of highways through the Americas and, you know, going through different communities and different areas that have different frequencies. So it's picking up on all of those layers and and that goes into, that does go in, in, the, in the pot in terms of the influence. So, I mean, I made this record, this record was written during a very tumultuous time in Los Angeles where we did have a spike in violence, burning police cars, helicopters every night, gunshots every night, Mm. fireworks every night. It was, you know, 70,000 people on the street, homeless. I mean, we were in it and we're still in it in Los Angeles. Um, But then when I got to travel, I also saw the impact it had on major cities like London or Glasgow, or New York, or Chicago, or Philly, or Boston, or wherever we were traveling, you know, you could see the impact it was having on people in these major cities. And then traveling through other areas that were not as densely populated, um, you could still see the effect, like in the middle of Ohio, and, you know, traveling through Montana, or wherever. You could still feel people, everybody's been touched in a certain way by what's been going on Iowa um, as well no question about that yeah absolutely absolutely and I'm sure you can identify and your listeners can identify a little bit with how it affected their lives and um, so looking at the dumpster fire is one thing but then coming up with a solution or a response to it and as you know my medium is music predominantly although I work a lot in visual arts as well um, which I don't really bring into the cult conversation it's a different conversation although it's connected um you know that that goes into cult music and that i feel that's something that we do consciously i don't think of concerts as entertainment i consider it more ritual space i'm much more aligned with morrison in that sense mm, you know yes um, absolutely and, and so school of morrison Definitely not trying to emulate him, but School of Morrison. And that all links into, you know, mythology and uh, ritual space and uh, individuals like Joseph Campbell, who 
studied mythologies and Hero of a Thousand Faces was a very important piece of work that influenced Morrison as well, and Manzarek, and Krieger, and Densmore. Um, and also, these were the kind of books that were being read by everybody from Mick Jagger to Kurt Cobain was a, <clears throat> a very well-read individual, you know, and all the way through to a contemporary artist. I mean, Kanye West is an enlightened individual. Um, you know, we've, we're all kind of pulling from the same well. And the well is looking at the human experience and beyond the metaverse, beyond Netflix, beyond uh, news sources that we check out, like actually getting intimate with our with our relationships, primary relationships, friends, family, loved ones, uh, marriages, uh, you know, whatever. So all of this is about community. And um, a lot of people are going for themselves in the culture right now. <clears throat> it's a very self-driven narrative in the culture. Uh, a lot of quirky individuals who are marketable um, grabbing the space and the advertisers like that. They can sell the products through that. You know, this, um, these kind of uh, polymathic individuals who are not only performers, but they're also directors and uh, they have fashion brands and it's <laughs> okay. And 36 writers on an album. The cult's still a four or five piece band, uh, bass, drums, guitars, vocals, and a keyboard player. We use very little sampling. I mean, on this record, we have a 36 piece orchestra that was recorded in Prague. Oh, wow. So we have that. And, but we don't really sample. We don't really sample. We use real. We use real orchestra. We do it remotely. But when you hear the song, you'll go. I, I think the results are quite staggering, and that's some visceral experience that you can only experience live. If you really want to experience the music and that space, and that's of interest to you, then we're your band. Well, I hear you often using terms like catharsis and communion when describing the performance aspect of yeah. what you do and the synergy that is created in that live setting. For a while there, it felt as though sharing space with large groups of people in close proximity might become an extinct concept. Thankfully, we don't need to imagine a world in which that's a long-term reality, but the pandemic did offer a new appreciation for things like that uh, that we may have been taken for granted, don't you think? Absolutely. With social animals and you know, a lot of individuals have gone very much into themselves, but ultimately we're, we all require a, a psycho-emotional, spiritual level intimacy of being around other people. And it's such a joy to see people who come to shows who have, who have actually dressed for the occasion, you know, have actually thought about what they're going to wear and that they're going to display their individual characters uh, in a way where they're free to, to, to do that in a safe space, a safe environment. And, um, you know, all the basics are covered. Yeah, we're probably, you know, with all respect, um, from our peer group, we're one of the few entities that still exist that are still operating at a very high level in terms of performance focus. Uh, we actually make records. There's a lot of artists out there who are still pushing you know, the records are made in their 20s. Mm. We've been very, we have those records. I mean, we could, we could rest on our laurels, but that would be of no interest to me. I mean, I'd be burnt on that. Um, but to be honest with you, working with new material, and we still perform songs, whether it's Sanctuary or, you know, um, songs from Sonic Temple, 
um, they're still part of the canon. They still perform these songs with great joy and great passion. They're, they're, these songs are rejuvenated to us even when we're performing them. They sound different every night. The environment's different. The audience is different. The cities are different. So we have all of that. It's not like you're going to come to a cult show and you'd be, it's going to be on familiar territory. We make sure that we're playing a set that is accessible to people. And we're, you know, we're dropping in uh, songs from other periods, but we're picking stuff that really fits for a great live performance because some stuff doesn't translate as well off record into a live environment. And we are restricted because we don't use samples and we don't have a 36-piece orchestra on the road. But um, we do uh, transpose some of those those aspects into into the set. But at the end of the day, it, it just it it. I mean, we've been the shows have been nothing less than incendiary. Mm. These have been some of the most profound shows, and I do feel that post pandemic plays into that a lot. That there's such a great sense of anticipation when we walk out on that stage. There's a real electricity in there. You bet. There's a real sense of an event. This is not. a just another show that's coming through town. There's a sense of an event. It's an occasion. And, you know, how many times are we going to go through Des Moines, Iowa? Well, we're excited you're coming September 24th, play at Hoyt Sherman Place. Equally excited for the release of the new album, The Colts 11th, entitled Under the Midnight Sun, which comes out October 7th. One last quick item, Ian. I really appreciate you taking the time for me today. This has been a great Absolutely. conversation, man. I noticed at least a portion of the new album was recorded at Rockfield Studios, where you had recorded right. much of your debut album, Dreamtime, back in 1984. Were there specific reasons that place was chosen for Under the Midnight Sun? It was familiar to the producer, Tom Dougherty, and definitely to Billy, and definitely to Charlie Jones, the bass player. Mm-hmm. They, all know, they all know that studio. And that studio is, is, is certainly... Uh, it has a certain... It's a very powerful... Uh, if you look at the artists that have recorded there, there's a documentary on Rockfield if you want to go take time to go look at it. This studio just emanates... Um, it's a real high-frequency space. Hmm. And there's something about that space, the location where it's located, at the actual building itself. It just gets inside of you. And, um, you know, a lot of buildings... You can walk to some buildings that just don't have that vibration. This place is an older farmhouse. It's been converted. But uh, it's a residential studio as well. So the foundations of this record, and auspiciously, that's what we did record Dreamtime. It's kind of come full circle, so in many ways we're in this regenerative cycle. Uh, we're back at the beginning again, and auspiciously again, 1983 is coming up, 2023. We recorded Dreamtime in that period, um, you know, 84, actually 84, uh, Dreamtime was recorded. But uh, 83 was the beginning of the, of the Billy and I's relationship hmm. uh, recording with Death Cult. So we're kind of come full circle so there's a lot of uh, synchronicity and uh, kismet in this record. Um, and instead of a band that's in a sense of retirement, we're in, a, we're in a sense of rejuvenation, rebirth. And we're not going out on these package tours whereby it's a nostalgia trip. We don't do nostalgia. <laughs> it's, we, it's not in all, we do not do nostalgia. I have zero interest. Well, I'm, you know, that's not true. I, I'm, I get a little bit fuzzy about some things that we've done in the past, especially when you're opening Friggy Pop and David Bowie. Mm, 
God. Or recording at Hampstead Studio with Chris Kinsey or, you know, working with Rick Rubin and Electric Lady and, you know, being around Def Jam and Beasties and Run DMC and Alla Cool J and all of that or Gathering of the Tribes and... I mean, yeah, there's certain warm, fuzzy moments or guns opening for us back in the day or me being in the doors or, you know, yeah, there's a few things. But ultimately, the business is Under the Midnight Sun, Gimme Mercy, um, you know, Song Mirror, um, Vendetta X, uh, Night Through Butterfly Heart, title track Under the Midnight Sun. All of these songs have high frequency to them where they're fresh, they're of the moment, they're of the time. And this record is a document of this moment. So that is gratifying, knowing that we can still access with great passion and great, you know, just ability to grab it. Um, I mean, and still have the vehicle. I'm so grateful for what we have. I'm so grateful people come to our shows. I mean, there is gratitude. We, there's not lost in us that our audiences are benefactors, and we are their benefactors in the sense that when they come through that door, I know that people have struggling going through whatever you know experiences we can relate to that we came from blue collar working class environments as kids and that's the foundation of the band so we're highly relatable in that way so we better turn up for our audience and for ourselves unless it doesn't come off you know we're not there just to pass through we're there to create an event in the evening the most important show september 24th will be in des moines iowa that will be where we will be you know we're not we're not thinking about the next gig or the gig before. We're we're fully present. Well, we're excited to hear the rest of the album. Under the Midnight Sun comes out October seven. As far as mission statements go, you you alluded to Give Me Mercy, which is the first uh, taste of the new album. Yeah. And I I don't know if mission statements that maybe the correct term here to use, but when you choose that first single, it's the first uh, impression of what you've done in your first new album in what six years, right? Yeah. Um, that aside. The label has a hand in it too. Sure. And they have they have a plan, they have a vision because this is a global brand. I mean, we're not just looking at the United States. This is the cult is a global brand. I yep. mean we're also looking at India, Indonesia, Singapore, Vietnam, you know, uh, Europe, I mean, you know, Australia, Japan, New Zealand. I mean, this is a global brand. So they take all of that into consideration. They felt Give Me Mercy was the first should be the first lead song and in some ways, to me, I'm very much more, perhaps I have a different way of looking at it. I would have just dropped it under the midnight sun. Mm. <laughs> okay. That is, but it could have been a jaw dropper, you know, it could be because the song is pretty jaw dropping and it's like, well, where do you start? Um, also, you're kind of restricted to, with all respect. I mean, there are formats out there which you adhere to and that's just the nature of the beast. But really, right now, it's all about podcasts and playlists. Hmm. You can get yourself in playlists and you get yourself in streaming services and you can get into that conversation. That's where a lot of people go for their information. But radio is still a really, really important medium for communicating with with a fan base, with an audience. And, um, you know, I hate the term fan as well because I think that's kind of disrespectful. I was like the term, uh, you know, it's like just feels because it's communion. I don't I don't feel better than or less than. In that sense, yeah, I'm up on the stage, but I also feel a, a real connection with, with humanity in the room and individuals, certain individuals you just catch their eye or you can definitely see the things going on with people mm -hmm. and you really want to make sure they're seen, you connect with them, and even if it's just for a split second. So, you know, there's a lot going on with the cult 
And yeah, it's complex, but it's also very simple. I mean, it's a rock band. Well, there are lots of fascinating people from all walks of life, and fortunately I get to cross paths with them every once in a while. Ian Asbury from The Cult, the latest and greatest. I really appreciate you taking the time for me, and this has been great. Absolutely. Thank you for the time, and we really look forward to coming and spending time with you guys. Much appreciated. September 24th, can't get here soon enough. No, well, it's coming up pretty soon. It's one day after my birthday, so I'll be celebrating with you that night. And there's always a, a special place for the cult, for First Nations. And, uh, you know, First Nations come out, represent. Um, love seeing my people come out and dress and express themselves. So I encourage people to think of this as an event, a celebration. And, uh, you know, yes, there will be loud music, <laughs> but there's, there's going to be a lot of drama. There's going to be a lot of uh, beatific moments. So, you know, dress accordingly. We are here for it, my friend. Thank you again so much. Look forward to Thank seeing you. you here in about a month's time. Look forward to it. Take care.